Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Typically, a HMO license has to be renewed every five years. And in some parts of the country, in fact, it's more regular than that. I know some local authorities insist on renewals being done every single year. I can only imagine how much of a pain that is. But everywhere I invest, which is several cities, the council insists that we renew every five years. So every five years, they come and reinspect the property. We have to pay them for the privilege and they just essentially check us against their amenity standards and grant or extend the license, if you like. In the last couple of weeks, I've been out on a couple of renewal inspections with the local authority. And in today's episode, I'm going to have a rant because there are a few things, some conditions that they've imposed on us, on me as the landlord, that have honestly pissed me off. If you want to find out what they are and what we're supposed to do and why I'm pissed off about it, don't go anywhere. Please enjoy today's episode of the HMO Podcast. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Right, today I'm having a bit of a rant and I'm really sorry, but I'm going to use you as my punch bag. This is unlike me. Now, I'm not much of a ranter, tend to just suck most of the crap that we have to deal with as landlords and property investors up, but this has really frustrated me in the last couple of weeks. I'm going to tell you why. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to make it really clear that this is not an anti-HMO license podcast episode. I'm not anti-license at all. In fact, I think that it's a really good thing. I think that insisting that certain standards are met and that the condition of properties are maintained is really, really important. My issue is with some of the nuances of what local authorities want and the variation between inspectors. So the lack of almost standardization. I appreciate it's a difficult job, but still it's frustrating. And also that when you've got good properties and you're a landlord and an investor who prioritises good, high quality accommodation 
and you know that you're not essentially the target of the council. You know, they like to work with us because we do things really, really well. Nevertheless, they pick up on some things that seem completely irrelevant and out of context and quite frankly, bizarre and completely unnecessary, particularly when you consider what is going on and what risks are out there as, you know, a member of the general public. And the obvious example is potholes. Now, I'm not the sort of person who's going to write to the council about potholes, although I do get frustrated if I smash my big wheels into a big pothole and it costs me 250 quid to replace a tyre. Nevertheless, these little things that they pick up on just really frustrates me because I don't at all mind doing and maintaining stuff that keeps people safe and genuinely is going to do that. But just trust me, there are some things here, and I think you're going to agree with me, that are just completely bonkers that are almost just like we're being told to do it for the sake of it. And that frustrates me because the costs are significant and the time input is massive. I mean, just the work to do these conditions on top of the usuals and then everything else that's going on at the minute and all the challenges that we're facing and having the costs is really frustrating and it really does feel like a twist of the knife. And that is why I'm so pissed off. So... What is renewal inspection? Well, very quickly, here's what it is. Somebody from the licensing team comes to one of the properties they meet, us, me or one of my team members, and they inspect the property and they basically cross-reference the condition of the property and all the amenity standards in there against their framework. And they just want to see that we're meeting all the conditions that were safe and that were compliant. And systematically, they go around the property and they do the inside and outside basically just give us a list of conditions at the end of it that they want us to do. Now, there were several things that I'm absolutely fine about, and yet we need to do them. So for example, a number of doors that just need the overhead closers tweaking because they're not quite shutting properly. A couple of sort of minor maintenance bits and pieces that haven't been logged yet or haven't sort of come up since the last inspections we've done. The odd place maybe where they want an extra handrail, like on a ba- on down into the basement cellar, some areas where they've decided they want an extra smoke head in the cellar head, for example. Just lots of little things like that. And that, that's absolutely fine. But then there are some really weird stuff. And, you know, my heart sort of sinks when they start getting out tape measures and start measuring stuff. Now, they measure all the rooms, even though they've previously granted the license against that property and the room sizes haven't changed, but nevertheless, you know, they spend the time measuring all the rooms and things like that. And of course, all those things are fine, the large amenities. But there are three things that came out of these inspections that really frustrated me. Now, on one particular day, we went to two different properties and in fact, two different inspectors from the same council came. I know one of them very, very well. Lovely guy, have a good relationship with him. And in fact, that's the case with this council. I've got a good relationship with them. I can call them. I can check things. There's some occasions where I've had some issues with some tenants and I've just wanted to call them for some advice about certain things. And they've been really helpful. And they've been absolutely fine with us, you know, as we've licensed our properties. That said, they're still a bit funny and picky about certain things. And one of the inspectors, the other inspector, was new to this council, never met them before, they've never met me before, and had quite a different approach, I would say, to to inspecting the property. So one of the properties 
Outside, at the back, there is a rear yard. Nothing at all to sing about. Yeah, it really is just a small rear yard. It's old. There's been a variety of remedial works to the drain that have been done over the years. And so the concrete floor out there, it's not perfectly flat. You know, it's far from perfectly flat. And it probably does need some TLC, repair and maintenance. And it really, it probably would be a good idea to actually completely re-level the whole thing. And if you imagine that the rear yard is almost shared with the adjacent property, so it's, it's not just mine, it's actually shared with next door as well. And I'm not joking, an inspector went out the back and the inspector said that the levels are out and this is a trip hazard. And I'm sort of looking at this floor thinking, what are you seeing that I'm not? And I couldn't help myself. And, and, you know, she said, this is a trip hazard. You know, kind of jammed a foot up into like a crack. And, and it is an unlevel area of, the, of this floor. But we're talking millimetres, one, two, maybe three millimetres. And not like a trip hazard, as if you're walking over a door threshold as well, which might catch you out. You know, I think sometimes if you had something going from one room to another, it would be very unusual. But on an outdoor surface that's clearly not perfectly flat, you can see that immediately, like most areas outside, it doesn't look unusual. So she jammed her foot up into this sort of two, three mil crack, you know, and sort of said, that's a trip hazard. And I'm not joking. Nobody could trip over that even if they tried. And I just said, that is not a trip hazard. There's no way that's not a trip hazard. And she was absolutely insistent. It was a trip hazard and started to insist that, you know, we levelled out this whole thing. And I'm saying, that is a huge job to level all this out. That's can't just put concrete on it because to level out two or three mil, it'll just crack again. And to lay any more than that, we'll be off with the drains, we'll be over the DPC of the, the house. And of course, you know, half of this yard is next doors and they're not going to want to do it. And actually, so we had a bit of a confrontation about this and um, she had insisted that, you know, this is going to be a condition. And now I'm waiting for that licence renewal and the conditions, the draft reports come through with the conditions, but it is something that I'm going to challenge. And I thought, it's really frustrating me, this one, but I walked, after the inspection, I walked out across the road and over to my car where it was parked. And on the pavement itself, I mean, the slabs on the pavement and the potholes in the road was substantially more of a trip hazard than our rear yard where we've got five student tenants who are all able-bodied, you know, and go out and get absolutely plastered on a Friday night and a Saturday night and probably a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night as well. Just complete nonsense. Just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So that's really frustrating because to do what they want us to do is actually a very expensive job if we want to do it properly. We'd have to peel it back, we'd have to sort of take out all the ground there, do a load of groundworks, then put new levels in, get the neighbour involved. Clearly a very expensive job, not a half hour job with a bucket of sand and cement, as this inspector thought. Okay, something else that really frustrates me on these inspections has been handrails, banisters. So regulation, I think, is 900 mil for uh, for a banister. And that's fine. I absolutely get it. And obviously there's widths between spindles and things like that as well. This inspector got out a tape measure and I think measured our banister from the ground to 860 mil. So 40 mil out, four centimetres away from the reg. Bear in mind, this has been licensed for the last five years. Nobody, none of my tenants have somersaulted over the banister and uh, insisting that we bring this up to a 900 mil standard. Now, in itself, I found that really, really, really frustrating. This is an existing 
baluster and an existing staircase with a nice decorative newel post. And on the top of the newel post, it's cylindrical. And I'm saying, look, it's four centimetres. I mean, look, all the other stuff, you know, the couple of vinyls, this and that. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, at this particular property, we're doing a full refurb in, in summer anyway. And I said, we're not actually bringing any more tenants in in July. We're doing a full scope of works. So we're going to improve the standards around including, you know, replacement kitchen and things like that. And so could we maybe leave this one? Could you let us be with this one? No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. Well, could you let us wait till the summer then so that actually it's not disruptive because what you're talking about is quite a big job. And the inspector went on to say, well, it's not a big job. You know, put a piece of wood across. Oh, I put a piece of wood across. What do you mean? And then she went, she proceeded to sort of <laughs> show me how a piece of timber could be sort of fitted between the wall and the top of the newel post about four centimetres higher than the actual banister. This is a decorative banister, right? With a nice newel post painted, you know, it's white, it's gloss. looks pretty good. It wants a piece of timber from the wall into the top of the cylindrical newel post to get an extra four mil. I mean, a piece of timber anyway would be, take it above 40 mil, sorry, but, you know, above the 900. And I'm just sort of explaining to her there, like, there's no way. First of all, to get a fixing in the wall would be an absolute nightmare. I don't know how you think we do that. And then how do you think I'm going to connect a piece of timber to this cylindrical newel post? And I said, irrespective, it'll look horrendous. You know, and I can guarantee if I did that and left that, first thing I'd have is, is a parent on the phone, one of my student parents saying, what on earth is going on with this banister? This looks terrible. And it's is it safe? And, da, da, da. and I would completely agree. It's bonkers. And then she said, well, you could just panel it out on either side or get some glass perspex sheets around it. I'm thinking, this is just ridiculous. So I th- again, I've not got an issue in itself with lifting the banister up to 900. I find it a bit frustrating, you know, 40 mil off and we've got student tenants in and been fine otherwise. It, they've been fine with it previously. But okay, worst case, it needs changing. But these suggestions that these are the ways to do it, and that this is just an easy job. Yeah, it's nothing, you know, it'll, you know, it takes someone half an hour, just a piece of timber across here, fit that to that, da, da, done. And that really frustrates me because it completely disregards the type of accommodation, the quality of accommodation that we're trying to create and do create. And it just disregards the practicalities involved in doing this sort of stuff. And that's frustrating as an investor. That's frustrating as a landlord for so many reasons. So that really wound me up. Okay, something else that really pissed me off. This particular house is built into the hill, like a lot of properties are in this area. And it has a big, really great bay front. And there are two steps as you sort of come out of the alleyway between the two adjacent houses, steps down. And because it's built into the hill, underneath the bay, like in front of the bay, it's almost like a small terrace, very small terrace that actually from the roadside is quite high. You know, it's sort of up to about shoulder high. And if you imagine there's just kind of a really small space outside the front of this bay window, it's almost completely inaccessible anyway. And it's been like that for forever. There's no railings on it whatsoever. Nobody would ever go up there. It's like there is a wall around it, but the wall's about I don't know, 450, 500, just around the perimeter. Um, so there's a little bit of space between the front wall of the bay and, and then this perimeter wall. But it's too small. No one would functionally use it for anything. I think there's an air brick in there 
for the seller to vent. That's literally it. And if you look up the road, every single house is the same. I think there's one, maybe two houses on the street that have got some very old decorative iron railings on there. Looks absolutely terrible because they haven't obviously kept them for decades. And this inspector said, you need some railings on there because someone could fall off. So they want me to put railings that take that up to 900 high at the front of, on this perimeter wall in front of the bay window in case someone falls up. And I said, nobody's ever gone up there. Nobody's ever going up there. And she said, well, they could sit up there with a chair. <laughs> like, you couldn't even get a chair on there if you tried. And I said, this is ridiculous. You might as well say we need to put some railings on the roof in case someone just decides to go and put a chair on the roof. You know, this space, and I appreciate you can't quite picture it, but it's ridiculous. And I said, look, up the street, these are all student houses. No one's ever needed to do this. Clearly, this isn't something that the council have insisted before. Why would you insist on this now? And just look up the road. Like, nobody's sitting outside of these houses. You know, no one's falling off the front of this space because it's completely non-functional space. No one's using it. Again, just, you know, a bit of a confrontation on this and I'm waiting to hear back as to whether or not they're going to enforce it. And if they do, you know, I'm going to have to appeal this one because that to me is just completely ridiculous. The cost of putting, well, I mean, some decorative iron railings is ultimately what you'd want to do if you had to do it because that's the only way it would ever look right. These are old, sort of big, grand properties. And if they insist on everybody on the street starting to do this, then I can guarantee what will happen. Landlords will choose the cheapest possible materials to do it and it will look horrendous. Can you imagine everybody's doing this in front of their houses? And this is part of the problem. And also this is a conservation area. So to do this and to put railings out the front needs planning permission as well, which she said, yeah, it will need planning permission. And I'm just thinking, I've got my head in my hands at this point thinking, what you're asking me is completely ridiculous. No one's ever going to get hurt here. No one's ever going to go up there and sit up there and topple off. And no one is going to start spending thousands of pounds to put iron railings here. You know, it's going to look utterly ridiculous if you enforce everybody to do this. And if you're making me do it, you're going to have to make everybody else do it. And we're talking... 40 houses on the street. So this just wound me up so much. Anyway, that's it. Ran over. There are a few other minor issues, but they were the main ones that really got on my skin. But this is the reality, guys. This is the reality of HMO licensing and renewing licenses. It's not always as black and white as having a minimum room standard and having a bathroom to bedroom ratio of X amount. There's a lot more to it. And sometimes... It is grey. You have to remember that. Sometimes what we're being asked to do falls in that grey area. And you need to have your wits about you. You know, you need to be able to know when you can push back and when you need to say, yeah, absolutely, hold your hands up and just get it. Because trust me, when you've got a few properties, these and the costs associated with this stuff rack up very, very, very quickly. Putting those iron railings there, you know, if the council really insists on that one, that's easy, a couple of grand just without even blinking. Everything else, you know, is easily a couple of grand in, in just bits and pieces. So it gets very, 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 very expensive. And I've pushed back before and actually they've said, you know what, okay. And sometimes, and in many cases, in fact, we give them far more than we need. And I think that that goes a long way as well. And that would be a good piece of advice I'd give you today. Remember that. If you're always trying to push back and if you're always trying to cut corners, you know, you're not going to get 
any leeway at all. But actually, if you're doing over and above in many areas and you know the council can see that then actually you know, they do have some artistic license on this they you know they've got some flexibility uh, within their own policies within their own framework so it's worth remembering that that's it for today's episode that's it for today's rant thanks for listening i will keep you filled in as things progress when i get the draft conditions i'll let you know what they look like don't forget that i'm on handover in the hmo community it's our free facebook group if you haven't already joined what on earth are you doing it is the place to be if you're looking for like-minded people who are also building hmo property businesses or portfolios it's full of great advice and lots of experience but if you want to take things to a new level if you really want to scale things up this year then the hmo roadmap is where you want to be There really are so many great benefits. And if you want to come and chat with me and ask me your questions directly and other members of the community, then you can get involved with our monthly member mastermind. It's our online mastermind for members of the HMO Roadmap. So what are you waiting for? Come and check it out. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. That's it. Thank you once again. Don't forget, I'll be right back here next time. So join me then for another installment of the HMO Podcast. (laughs) 